Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello, hello. And our special guest for this one-off episode of Two Minutes About Time, About Time's very own composer, Mr. Nick Ned Close. Wow. Um, so thanks so much for agreeing to come on the show. It was like back when we did the show last year, your name was very high on our list of people we really want to talk to. So it, it felt very worth bringing back the show to get to chat with you. I'm sorry. I was in the middle of doing the music to another film in the middle of lockdown. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, you can imagine yeah. that took every single, uh, yes, every single nerve. <laughs> Absolutely. I was just surprised when I messaged you that you, you said you remember hearing of us. That, that's cool to me. We've, we've, we've made the about time circles, it appears. Totally. Totally. It's an amazing, it's an amazing journey with about time because when it came out, it was one thing. And now with every year that goes by, it becomes something much bigger mm. and extraordinary. Extraordinary, really. I think I bumped into Richard on the street um, of Notting Hill Gate somewhere about six years ago or something, and he said Bill he Bill was on Broadway, and that Bill had said that every day outside his uh, theatre there were a, a, a group of twenty five or thirty people to see him, and most of them were there for about time. <laughs> so he said. So Richard said to me. I think it's there for the duration nice. now or something. I yeah. thought, great. It's, it's insane because, yeah, we were, we were looking into like reviews from when it first came out and all the rest. And we were like, oh, no one was talking about this film. But now I'll bring it up. And people and people are just it's weird. Before we did. I'm not saying it's anything to do with our podcast. But before we did the podcast, <laughs> no one I knew, knew knew anything about it afterwards. I'm saying people like, oh, I love that movie. Look, for me, I mean, when we when we did it and then it came out and then there was the usual kind of, you know, people were, oh, if you like a Richard Curtis film or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then I started to get American friends saying they'd seen it three times and they were absolutely saying, I'm sorry, I just never mentioned it. I have people over. We have special parties for it. <laughs> these are like, these are people who write books. It's like, well, wow, how amazing. <laughs> and then... And when I went on holiday with friends, they'd say, uh, well, have you done anything? You know, what many film we'd know? And I said, about time. And then this about time. Rufus, Rufus, <laughs> favorite film. I said, what, mom? Previously, they'd looked, you know, scans at me. And then they're like, you worked on that film. And then they'd all come the children love it. So, the, and, and you know what? It's a film with a message. Mm-hmm. And I remember when Richard first, told me all about it, which we can go into through yeah. a bit later. But but I said, this is a, you know, I'm a, I, st- I studied Tibetan Buddhism for 20 years. So I said, this is, this is a Buddhist idea. It's fantastic that, you know, really you want to live every moment as it comes rather than go back and change it if you could. And he said, yes, yes, they've said it's my, it's my Zen film or something. Yeah, Darren Brown uh, was on our show at one point and he absolutely loves About Time. And I think he's linked to a lot of kind of like stoicism things. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it, it is fascinating how it resonates with so many things. Because similarly, I'm of Christian faith and it resonates with so much Christian values and ideas as well. I think oh. it's, there, there is, what Richard's done brilliantly as well, I think, in so many of the characters is, especially stuff like the dad, he leaves enough room for you to place in your own father figure or your or other people so that you feel so immersed 
in it. And obviously that immersion also links so much to your music, like so many scenes and so much of it is just, I think it says a lot that like I could listen to the music and sometimes just like the about time theme can bring me to tears. It's insane. <laughs> like there's just the link. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, you, to go back to and pick up on one thing you said, you know, I think when I, all the times I watched it and all the time through it and through the making of it, and I was involved from the very beginning, you know, from six, from six months before I ever was involved with writing music. But I don't think I got how much it really was about the father-son relationship. And then I watched the movie with my own father and uh, a, a couple of years later, my father died. And you know, you know what a big one that is. And uh, and on 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 the television, the film came, and it was, it was really, really so moving. And I wrote to Richard immediately, and said, you know, this is this thing. He said yes about his own father, and uh, his own relationship, and how I think his father died too. And it was it was, you know, it, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's it's not about their marriage in the end it really seems to be that's what I carry with it is is what is how yeah I think I think that's the thing is I'm a massive Richard Curtis fan love all the stuff he does but I think the film first time around was just advertised as another Richard Curtis rom-com that so many people shut off from it that I've I've now told people like don't read anything into the film or look at any of the advertising because it's not what it's telling you it is like it's it's about love but it's about family love it's about the love of friends it's about the love of life like it's 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 a movie about love but romantic love is just a part of I mean Mary doesn't turn up in the film until about what 25 minutes in and then like, they're married at like an hour in so it's yeah so yeah, it's like where every rom-com ends, you're done yeah it's um yeah, it, it's so, so fascinating as to how much, and obviously post the podcast, it's, it, it's been insane. So much of my lockdown and everything that happened to do with yeah. lockdown was to do with about time. Richard is, as, as a filmmaker myself, Richard is my biggest hero. And so the, first of all, to get in touch with him and get to have him on the show was amazingly Fantastic. exciting. And also we had this whole thing. I'm going to tell this story. It's music related. You know the story I'm going to tell, Robert. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had Ron Sexsmith on the show to talk about Golden ah. Hills. Um, oh, wait, what a big story about that. So you start, you kick off and I'll move in. <laughs> um, so we, we, yeah, we had him on. And um, after the show, I was chatting with him and I sent him a video of my school choir very randomly. Um, it was, I'm doing a cover of I'm Still Standing. And next thing I know, I get a message from Ron saying, just sent it to Elton. He absolutely loves it. Have you got a contact for the school? And next thing I know, my school choir has been invited as VIPs to whenever Elton's next gig is in the UK. And we're up in like NME, Rolling Stone. And not only none of it mentioned me or the podcast, a little annoying, uh, but we're on BBC, ITV, like okay. it was everywhere. And that was like the amount of joy that my school and so many of my peers yeah. needed over lockdown. And to be yeah. like, Ron Sexsmith and About Time did this. What a wonderful, okay. What a, okay. So let's just, can I, do you want to, can I, should I tell my story yeah. from the beginning of Please. this? Yeah. I'd made a few films, uh, you know, maybe four or five. I've done the music for a few films. And uh, I got a call from Nikki Kendish Barnes, the producer, who said, um, I'm working with Richard Curtis uh, for you know, working title. And I, I, uh, he'd love you. I'd like you. I'd like you to come and meet him. I said, I'm in the middle of things, Nikki, but what's it about? And she said, oh, he doesn't want you to write anything. I just want you to come and, 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 and sort of 
be with him on his journey. You know, he's a real music fan. <laughs> and I was sort of like, I don't think I've got time for this. <laughs> and he was, he was like, hey, don't be an idiot. Just come and see him. And I said, oh, all right, where is he? Portobello Road. I said, it's like 10 minutes away. When? Tomorrow. I said, okay. I went and I think I expected him to be, I think I expected his musical taste to be mainstream. And I was worried mm. about, I thought it might be, listen, I love great pop, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know anything about how deeply into music he was. Yeah. And I was so deeply into it. So I thought, well, it'll be a drag if we, you know, if we don't get on it'll, you know, with the music. So, and I'd rather compose anyway. So, you know, so I went down and he said, oh, hello. And he came and he made a cup of tea and we sat there together and he said, uh, I'd just like to play some, some, some music. And he played me like an hour or an hour and a half of music. And in it was, was the Paul Buchanan, uh, the, the incredible, you know, uh, yeah, Midair. What, what, yeah. Midair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was new. It had just come out. I'd only read the reviews and I just, that just floored me. I mean, I knew Buchanan when we, with the Dream, my band, the Dream Academy, we met and spent time in America together, but I, I was totally floored by it. I said, if he loves this, then he played me. Nick Cave, which I knew, and he said, I, I really want this yeah. and and the luckiest. And and he had those already there. So it's like, right, crikey. So <laughs> I listened to all these things. And then I said, look, if you like this, this really it's really something you should really listen to. I mean, there's someone you should listen to. And he said, who's that? And I said, he's called Ron Sexsmith. And he said, oh, ah. Um, and if I was to listen to him, what should I listen to? And I said, there's a song called Golden Lamb Hills. And he said, hmm, that song's the reason I wrote this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to work together. I just, uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's unbelievable. And the way he played it was actually, he, I think with Richard, he doesn't play it. That's how he is. And that sort of approach of his came up again and again in the film, doing making the music things. He didn't, often state what he what he felt until much later or, or you know so that was amazing so so then I started uh, I thought well this is if we're away and then he said look I'm gonna uh, I'm, I'm finishing writing and um, and then I'll start filming and I'd like you to s send me things that I can other things ideas now you know what I like some things of yours that I mean that you like of other people's music that we can film too um, and the first thing he did though He's so inclusive as a sort of family guy that the first thing, and this has never happened on any of the films, and I've I've often stayed with the directors and things, so we, you know I've got to know them. But he said uh, there's a read through on uh, Wednesday um, at the Tabernacle in Notting Hill. Will you come and um, and come and watch it? So it's like wow. Right in at the start. I said, yes, I will. And there was Bill Nye, who I knew from, I'd met a few times, and he, he, he misunderstood and thought I was doing the music and said, I told Richard, he'll be in great hands if you're writing the music, you know. I was like, oh, no, we're not, it's not happening. <laughs> um, and I sat there and I watched them all, you know, they all sat around a big table in this, in this ex-church, it's, it's a deconsecrated church, in the tabernacle. And there were a few of the main actors, but quite a few were being read by assistants and things or people that work for Richard. And 
they read. I sat next to there was hardly any space, and Eric Fellner sat next to me, the you know mm. the guy who was working time, and uh, they started reading through it, and they were reading through it, and when Bill about halfway through. Bill just took off. I, I mean, I, I don't know anything about acting. I've only seen the films, you know. He just, he just read it. I am your father and this, and he said it in this way that chills went up my spine. All the other actors suddenly started to raise their game. And next to me, Eric Fellner went like this. I hate it when this happens. And I saw he was pouring with tears on one side. It was just so fantastic. And, and, and that, you know, was the beginning. I thought, my God. All, all of the actors had to up their game then just in the read-through. I was amazed at Bill. But uh, well, that, so that was wonderful. And then the next thing I know, I'm sending things to Richard and they're filming. And, and, then, and then he said, look, there's some music I want in the film, um, uh, but not by the people who, who, not by versions that are there. You know, um, How Long Will I Love You by Mike mm. Scott and the Waterboys and, you know, can you find someone who you think could sing it and can you produce a version of it? So things suddenly started to get more interesting. <laughs> so I, I, I found always, I did the same thing. I found three singers, that was hard enough. I called everybody I knew and said, look, it's gotta be like this. And then played them to Richard to say, look, I think this person could really sing it and would do it right. And I will produce it so it sounds right. So. He'd take a leap of faith and he'd say, um, he, he always said the right one. He said, yeah, John Burden for this, Barbara Goff for, um, for the, uh, the, 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 the wonderful um, classic American songbook songs, the two of those. Um, and um, so, so, so then I, I spent quite a long time recording How Long Will I Love You? And Richard would always come in, you know, and hear these things in progress and then mid filming. And then he said, it needs something explosive at the end. It's absolutely right, but it needs something explosive. Yeah. So I've got this electric violinist called Ben Coleman. He's completely explosive, but he's not a folk guy. And it might, you know, I might change it or do it, change it, do it, get it. So he came in, he exploded on the track, played it to Richard, Richard loved it, said, they've got it, I've, I've got to film all these guys, I want them in the film. And he did that with Baba Goff and Sagat Geary, who was the guitarist. And so suddenly I became like a manager to these bands, <laughs> thing. and it was all, okay guys, come down and watch them filming. No, don't, don't play, your, it looks silly when you do that with your guitar, you know, whatever it was. So that, that was the next stage of I wasn't it. sure whether the violinist was you in the subway montage. That's what I was trying to check, was it? That's great. I'm playing guitar on the track. I knew you were um, on the track, but I was trying to check on the montage as to whether it was you the other day and I couldn't tell. <laughs> no, but yeah. he, he worked with me in my, hmm. in my uh, Trash Monk uh, uh, record for uh, Alan McGee's creation records. He's a long time, you know, associate, you know, we worked together a lot, but but he really, he really delivered as did Bowden and Sam Sweeney. They were brilliant. Mm. And it's had like 20 million hits or something. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But, um, but, but, but so then the sort of managing thing and then they shot a lot of it. And so suddenly Richard, they had a music supervisor and he would come to me, to my studio and say, well, what have you got? What pieces of music have you found that we could put in here? And then he would, put them into the film and Richard would watch them. We'd say yes or no. And at one point they hadn't got anything for the scene 
with the funeral and it wasn't sure that Nick Cave was going to be there, you know, so I'd written this piano piece and I played it and the, the music supervisor said, is that yours? That, 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 can, that works. And then Nicky Kendish Barnes came in before Richard and heard it and, and wept. <laughs> Gotta keep calm here. And Richard came in and they went, he's, he's written this lovely thing. And Richard listened to it and he went, it's nice, it's nice. But you know, he, that, was, that was it. We moved on. As the film went along, my little piece of piano was in it uh, and stayed in it. Uh, and then Nick Cave, they, they agreed and that. So then it was out from that section, but it was still in another one. And the movie went on and went on. And then they took it to America really early on. To me, that seemed like before it was ready. I didn't know. I mean, did, I couldn't believe you were when you finished, but that's how they do it. And it, they tested it. And when they came back, they said um, it tested brilliantly. So that's it. And I was like, that's it? That's it for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, is my music still on it? And they said, yeah, I think so. Ask Nikki, ask the producer and see, see if it is. And I said, called her and she said, yeah. And she said, and that's, you know, and that's great. And it's been brilliant, Nick, and thanks so much. By now we were actually six months in. And um, so that was it. And uh, I slightly felt like I, I should have played harder to try and say, I can make the music for this film. Uh, and that was it. And then I, uh, I was preparing to go away for Christmas when I got a call from Nikki about three months later to say, can you come and have a meeting with Richard? And um, and I thought, oh no, he's going to ask me to do the advert for it. And I was humiliated, <laughs> humiliated that I've sunk so low, and you know, it's Hans Zimmer is doing it, and you know, um, and so I went, and we talked for an hour, and he he just then said, I've got a call, and it was some giant film star. He had a, a call he had to make, so he had to cut off. He said, "You're going away for Christmas." I said, "Yeah," and then he just suddenly said, out of the blue. How do you feel like working incredibly hard for the next six months? And I said, <laughs> Wonderful. And I, I got out and I and then I got in the car and I called my music producer, the guy who mixes and produces all the music for me on the on the mixing the films, and said, and told him the story. And I said, What do you think that means? And he said, You've got the film. Yeah. I said, Wow. And that was it. I went away from Christmas and on Christmas. When as soon as I got 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 to Bonn, I I changed my ticket. I said I got to get back as soon as possible. And on Christmas Day, I woke up. I went down to the old piano in the basement, and I just started playing that piece that was the Margot and Tim, Margot Robbie and Tim scene, mm. seduction, scene. and uh, and and wrote quite a few things just in the days after Christmas because Richard wanted to start and hear things on the third, and I and I only had that one theme, you know, that we had already. So that in terms of the in terms of that that theme, because I was going to ask you about that um, Charlotte's theme, it so annoys me that it's not on the soundtrack. <laughs> like <Me too>. I, <laughs> I love it so me much. Um, and why did they put the Ellie Goulding version? Yes, How long will I yeah. love you when we could have had my theme? Don't, yes. don't, like I, say, <laughs> oh, I, think, yeah. I think both How Long Will I Love You's are on the album, aren't they? They are. But, um, they are. but yeah, I really, really wanted Charlotte's theme. Uh, like because I, I whenever I watch the film back I'm just like why can't I have so I have to ask do you have any like files of it saved and well well Luke the best thing is you know what we should pressure 
uh, um, uh, Richard to say, why don't I put out, you know, even an, a, a, an extended player with all those the pieces of music yeah. that are on it? Because yeah. he's so up for everything. And I mean, this doesn't, nothing costs, you know, it's not like we're not trying, you know, just so it's out there so people have it. So I'm good, that'll be a good reason for me to write to him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first piece then I, then I went home immediately, it's a day after Boxing Day, and I sat there in my room and I went, played things, I came up with as much as I could. And then I went in with this guy, Steve McLaughlin, my producer friend, and started to get it ready for Richard. So there'd be something to play in. And he came in with Emma and everyone had told me he doesn't say, he won't say anything. I guess in case he doesn't like it, you know, he's taken it on and he gets, you know, so quite right. So he came in, and we put that up and we, we dressed it up really nicely and it played pretty much like it did in the film. And on it came with the scene and Emma, I remember, just said, I absolutely love that. And I said, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> and I absolutely love you. And everyone went, oh. Um, and, and that was fantastic. So uh, it, from then on, it went on. But, but, but you know that Richard wrote me quite quickly after that. Now I knew that one thing. He, he wrote to me about the beach scene and he said, the beach scene is the scene that we have to get absolutely right. And you have to write nothing less than the greatest, most heartfelt piece of music you've ever written in your life. So no pressure then. And that love Richard. And, and by heck like, you did it. <laughs> well, you know what, Luke, that's too nice. Cause what, what I thought was, I just thought, I'm not going to feel any pressure because I think I've already written it with that about time scene, yes, the yeah. one that I'd written for the funeral. And I thought, I, I think I've already done it. So, but as the way films are, I wrote four new ones for it. And we always made them fully produced so that Richard could really see them and watch them against it. And one of them, it's worth it because one of them became um, Goldborn Road, became the, the bit yes. weird when they go back for the yes. day yeah. and he goes back and he's in court and the wig and, and, and suddenly Richard said, what about putting that in this? And I said, oh no, it's too good. It's a theme. It must be throughout the film somewhere. And he said, let me watch it. And they watched it. He said, it's, it's got to have it. So that was, and, and that was good. We need all these tracks on the extended. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is, I could, because yeah. if, if not, I'm just going to find a way of, of persuading you every unused track to license them to my short films. Because uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the way we'll do it. That's perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, because the music is incredible. Like it's, it's such a pivotal part of About Time. I, I think, however amazing, all the rest of the film is, which we, yeah, we've dedicated 77 episodes to talking about how amazing the film is. The music comes up all the Often. time. Often, yeah. Um, no. Robert that... used to refer to, I, I remember there were certain points where I'd have to go and do something and Robert would be like, right, so Luke's going to be talking about the music, guarantee. So I'll talk about the other stuff just to allow uh -huh. me to go on for the rest. Like, and, like, I know nothing about music, but I know that I love the music and that that's just what About Time feels like. Um, so one, I asked a couple of fellow About Time fans some, whether they had any questions to ask you. Uh, I forgot to write down who, ha who gave each question, so I can't say anyone's names, but I have got a list. Uh, first one, very simply, is just how did you get into composing? Uh, well, I was, uh, all I loved was music from, from the age of about five or six. By the time I was seven, I saw the Beatles play in Hammersmith Odeon oh, wow. with the Yardbirds, who were my favourite band. I was so 
precocious at six or seven. I loved the Yardbirds. They were supporting the Beatles with Eric Clapton, <laughs> fledgling Eric Clapton on guitar. Then uh, I ran away from home at 13 to the Isle of Wight Pop Festival, uh, came back to a police welcome and it, so to see the doors and Jimi Hendrix. And that changed my life. I never looked back from that. I met lots of people at the Isle of Wight and they introduced me to people and I started being the assistant DJ to the guy who did the Hyde Park Free Festivals. And bit by bit, bands, The Who and people you'd play, you'd be DJing for The Who, open, Rod Stewart would open with Maggie May for The Who. And then these people backstage would say to me, what are you gonna do when you grow up? And I'd say, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a, a DJ. And they said, no, you, you, you wanna play your own music. Why don't you start playing? And the guy in the local record shop was a guitar player, folk guitar player, and he he gave me lessons. He started teaching me. <laughs> so then by the time I was 16, I suddenly had learned I was useless at school and everything was going terribly wrong. And uh, But I suddenly started to play and I knew how to play. And then I formed a band and then the band got signed to EMI. Mark Boland championed us, T-Rex, and we sang backup vocals with him. When he died, the band really sort of, we lost our mentor and fell apart. I had another band that was produced by the guy who produced Nick Drake at Joe Boyd. And that was more edgy rock and roll, didn't work. But I was the lead singer and songwriter in both these bands. And then I, I said, I'm facing 26 years old and, and I, I've had two shots and nothing's, we've had success, but no, no real success. So I'm doing something wrong. I realized you've got to be totally original. And I found two new players, uh, a classically trained oboe player and a classically trained string player, uh, Gilbert Gabriel and Kate St. John. And we formed this band, The Dream Academy, and quickly wrote Life in the Northern Town and two or three other things. And John Hughes heard these things uh -huh. and said, I want to put them in Ferris Bueller. Once he'd done that, He'd already had it scored by some poor composer, and then he took it out and put our two of our tracks. In. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and that, this seems to be so a recurring good. experience. With you then, <laughs> just no, getting brought up. <laughs> so good with, with John Hughes that, that for the next album, I was sorry, I was making the next the next Dream Academy album, which was tough. The second one's always hard when you come off a hit. It's tough. At last, I've had a hit, you know, and, and it was top ten in America, and the mm -hmm. album was top twelve. Fantastic, life changing. And so the second album, and then I get the call. John Hughes would like you to come in to the uh, 20th, 20th century lot. You know, we drive up to the white gates. You've seen it in all the movies and you drive from the, yes, the commissioner, yeah. And I went in and there was Hughes in the back of the lot in his little office with one of those viewfinders where you look through and he asked me, just put on the music of the songs without, of the new album without any, uh, without any lyrics or any singing. And, and he, he looked through and, he, and I played next one, next, next. And when we got to this track, Power to Believe, he was, he, he was, he was making trains, planes and automobiles. Mm -hmm. And he went, he went run, run the film to the end. And he went again to the middle, to this bit where they go back for Thanksgiving. And he went like this. And then he went, you've saved my life. Thank <laughs> you so much. And so I was like, wow, he's going to use it. I didn't know till it came out that he'd used it all the way through and yeah. uh, that it was fantastic he used it so much and uh and that made us feel wow our music works we always wanted to make cinematic music mm. in the dream of this works and then diane keaton 
suddenly said she was making her first directorial debut, her, di her directorial debut, and she asked us to go with a couple of other bands in New York. We were and and play and watch her movie, and then she said, "I'd really like you to do the music." So I worked with Howard Shaw um, with the Dream Academy, and we did a couple of. Uh, probably 12 minutes of music for her film, Heaven. And that was all that. And then uh, made a solo album after the Dream Academy split up. And in about 1997 or eight, I get a call from a guy who'd shot a video for the Dream Academy. And he said, I'm in Paris. I've just bought your solo album. I love it. I'm shooting a film with Cameron Diaz. It's my first film. Um, I'd really like to use some of your songs. Uh, in the, or music in the film. I said, great, I, I'm in Paris next week. He said, well, come and see, watch Cam, Cameron shooting, we're shooting by the Eiffel Tower at midnight. I said, fantastic. I went and he said, well, let's, after the filming, he said, let's go back to my apartment in Paris. And we sat up all night. And then he said in the morning, uh, I, I think you should score the film, but, um, but the studio aren't gonna want pop guys. Um, they, they, they don't, but you, I want you to try for it. So I spent three months trying to make demos to get them the way I thought would be right. And we sent them to the film company and the film company said, got it. So that was, that was called um, Invisible Circus. Mm. So that was how I got into it. And within six months or a year, um, Griffin Dunn which was this director's friend and Griffin Dunn was making his film. And he said, can I come over to London and play, watch, show you some of the film? And then I got that. And then it sort of went like that. I still feel it's a hobby and that my real job is in a band, but I don't <laughs> have a band and I've been doing this for 20 years. So, you know, that's how it is. Now I feel very at home doing it, to be honest, because whereas it used to be, I used to write the lyrics and write the music to the lyrics or co-write the music to the lyrics. Now I watch the film, I, I see what it's about. I see the edit is very quite important, you know, the way they edit in, and, you sit and you start to play and you play and you play. And at some point, something becomes alchem alchemical. <laughs> some alchemy happens and you say, wow. And you play it again and then you think, right. And when the director sees it, nine times out of 10, they say, that's it, that bit. And then you know you've cracked the, the, the way it should be. And then you work yeah. through the process, which is, you know. So that, sorry, that's a very, very long no, answer. No, it's, it's good. I, I, I think what, what I'm finding more and more, sorry, Robert, I realize I'm not giving you much time to speak. Um, what I'm you, finding, you were the music guy on the show, so I expected <laughs> you to have more. What I'm finding more and more is like, um, so like I, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm 17. I've been making a couple of short films and stuff, but, the, but the, uh, the, the, the composer, that I work with on my films, like at the moment, everything I'm doing is like, you know, no, no one's being paid. I don't have money. Um, and the composer, I think partially because it's the work, which as a director, I don't see happening directly, but it's always the one that I feel most guilty about not being able to pay. Cause I'm like, there's so much work that's gone into this. <laughs> and I don't, I don't see any of the work happening. I just get these MP3 files over to me and get told, what do you Hi. think? Hello, Luke in editing here. I just wanted to also acknowledge the fact, just in case my wording uh, wasn't the best, that I obviously uh, wish I could pay everyone on my film. And I'm not saying that it's any more work than the actors put in and the camera guys and the producers, whatever, but essentially, the point I'm trying to make here, whether it's worded rightly or wrongly, is that it's a world that makes so 
little sense to me, something that I know so little about, that that I kind of feel guilty in asking someone to do it. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and it's just, I think it's it's so fascinating as a world that I understand pretty much nothing about, other than somehow you write That's something so to, go, to go against the film. Don't think it's better when when you know because you worry when people do know too much about it sometimes they can they can try and change it in a way that isn't good i think it, it's like film for me is a mystery which i haven't yet cracked either and i i love the way it's still a mystery it, it's not spoilt for me to watch films i'm still i still dream mm. you, you know i i believe them you so know. i guess yeah it's literally two worlds that like work together but never never cross yeah that's <laughs> That's, that's, that's fascinating. Um, and I guess one thing which I didn't actually write on my notes for things to ask you, but I, I'd be very interested in, is um, around sc- like music and scores. Obviously, the score is to accompany the scene. So do you think the best scores are ones that you notice or ones that just make you feel? Well, that is a hell of a question because I know that people say you shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be aware of it. But I come from, from a discipline where... You had to, to be, be aware. Yeah. Yeah. That, was a, that, was a, that was a game, you know, that nobody's mind would wander at, for a centimetre of time, if there's such a thing, during life in a northern town. It had to have every single second had to be choreographed so that it would hit, so that it would, remain, you know. And so to come to that into a place where quite often it's underscore. But now I've sort of cracked that, I, you know, instead of drone, which is so perennial now, you know, I love making these incredibly complex textures where it's not just, ooh, it's all these things going on just under the surface to create this, you know, like when a painter paints white, they don't, you know, an artist paints white, they don't paint a white wall in their painting, they paint blue, pink, green, they scratch it all off, they put gray mm. on, they scratch, and it's got flecks of these things because it lives then. So, you know, drones are not drones anymore for me. They're living, bubbling things that'll be put very low and atmospheric in the film. But I I like to think, I mean, I come also from this thing where great film scores were great melodies. I I haven't lost that great, that love of great melody. And I need to work with people who, who like melody. I mean, what's weird is for the last five films, I've, four films, I've worked with Nick Broomfield, who never used music before. He, he didn't, he wasn't, he, he was a, he's a sort of, comes from a hard discipline of documentary fact finding. And he started, now they call it his uh, emotional phase. And he says, since we've been working together, they, these are my emotional films. And he always wants the emotion in it. And it's so good for me because I always want to put the emotion in it. Mm-hmm. And usually even the one about Leonard Cohen, you know, he, he couldn't, uh, it's called um, Mariana Leonard, Words of Love. And he couldn't use any Leonard Cohen music. So that for me, that was just fantastic. I didn't want to copy Leonard Cohen, but I love those early Cohen albums. I know, I know them backwards. So. I wanted to make music which might have been the sort of music he might have made, but it's the sort of music that I make, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yes, I don't know about that, probably. But then about the Leonard Cohen film, people said what was so great was it was so subtle you didn't really notice it. I think it's the best stuff I've ever done. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it's so interesting in each department because, like, it's weird. I don't like on 
on shows, even though it comes up a lot, to talk about my own filmmaking techniques because it's it, I've only been doing you know I'm still very amateur, but I think there, there's so many of those things that seem so important and noticeable to you, either the positives or sometimes the negatives, where you go, oh well that you know as, as an editor I'm kind of like oh you know that cut doesn't work or that there right. and and then everyone else watches it and no one notices <laughs> all the things that seem so important to you all that you know that grading there or yeah. that take there yeah. people just absorb it and it, they it doesn't do. matter <laughs> but, but I believe that, that again it's from where I come from I, I I believe that you make it gold you make it like yes spun gold and it, it doesn't matter they'll feel it yep. they'll feel that it's good I mm. mean when I worked, which was fantastic with Bertolucci, this was on Dreamers. The Dreamer. That was incredible because he didn't want me to write anything. I hadn't written anything you know, for film, and he, but I knew him. And he asked me to watch the film with him. And, and, and as, as, the, as the, you know, he used all this music from 1968. And as the lights came up, it was just him and me in a West End cinema. And I was thinking, I've got to work on this film, but I don't know what to say to him. And I remembered my <laughs> training and as the lights came up, he went, so what do you think? And I said, it's brilliant. And the music's all brilliant too, because it was. And he said, great, fantastic. Come next door with me. Uh, and I went next door and he said, we have ourselves a collaborator and they, these editor and they, they were all in this tiny room with cigarettes and drink and coffee. Said, why him and he said because he loves the music and then he turned to me and he said we can't use any of yeah. it <laughs> all music that's what we won't be able to buy so i want you to find 68 music no filler no cliche and that was so fantastic so now why am i telling you that <laughs> i can't even remember well, because you asked me about no, anyway, it's gone. I've, we'll have to go. I've back. forgotten, but it's an interesting story because the Dreamers is a film I'm aware of, and also yeah. I'm oh, not old enough to see. So <laughs> oh no! It's like it's what's so brilliant is he used sampling techniques of sampling old movies and putting them in and making them work. Ah, oh, it's a brilliant. Mm -hmm. film. I know. I know what the payoff line was that he said you've got to be a hundred percent on everything, and it's like you don't have to tell me. I, I, I. I understand. And, and, and he was like all great directors. He was very, he was like, the, the best directors are, are like generals. They can lead everyone into battle. They're taking care of all the things. And if something terrible happens, they're completely poker-faced and they're getting on with that part. That wasn't said properly. They don't say, God, you don't know what's just happened with the movie. Lost <laughs> all the money. They just go straight to it and they can contain these things. And I mean, but they are all the ones I've worked with. They can be, you'd follow them over the, over the, to the mouth, into the mouth of hell, but they are also can be incredibly tough with you too when they need to be mm. and try and push you to that 100% mark, which I'm doing. And anyway. I guess it's that balance of trust wherein you, you're not offended by their toughness. No. Which must, no. which is probably such a hard balance for a director to get. It, it, you, and you mustn't, you mustn't fade with their, you mustn't break with their toughness because that's all part of it too. And it's difficult. There's always a point in, in any film where, where, where it gets 
where you've gone from being their secret weapon that's changing and making everything great to, well, you must be able to fix this. And he was like, well, that's that's in the film. I, I, I'm not quite sure. Why don't you cut it? Cut it? You know, how dare you? You know, you've got to fix it. So, you know. I'm whatever. shooting You're... something big this weekend and I'm terrified of that point because it's going to happen <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so when, when you hear your own score, what do you, so someone's asked, what do you see in your mind's eye? Is there like a particular moment from the film or something personal that you're placing into it? You mean now? Now, um, afterwards, not weird. I, I'm I, guessing so. I don't know the specifics of the person who asked this question. Very, it's very hard. When you're writing it, you're writing it as if the film was your lyric, was, mm. was your life. Yeah. So that's that. But afterwards, I, I very much bound up with the film still. I think if I listen to About Time, About Time theme, it's, it's very much bound up with it. And like, you know, like you, I mean, I, I, listen, I cry when I, when I hear it too, because all my best, you know, all the best things move me really profoundly. And I mean, that, that theme, you know, and now people people write. I probably at least three or four times a year people write to say they'd like to, they want to get married to it, and would they mind? Would they mind? You know, or there's some. I don't know. There's an awful lot now of, of things of on this on about time. You know, it used to be that my song "Life in the Northern Town" was like the big moment, and uh, mostly things in life related back to that. Whatever I was doing now, and now it's equal with about al almost equal with about time. I'd say. I think it's almost the same story as um, JP was telling us when we had him on the production designer. Was that like that? Like recently, he's been doing like talks in um, like universities and stuff, and that he's worked on suppose bigger movies than about time but every other question is about about time i think there's something about it that resonates so strongly with people we had a whole a long long line of guests on the show yeah. um i can't think of exactly how many i can't do the maths but 77 episodes we had a different guest on for every three episodes so like we had a lot of people on and different people from so many different walks of life some people podcasters some people just friends of ours some people filmmakers actors celebrities whatever some of them had seen the film, some of them hadn't. We tried incredibly hard to get someone who hated the film. And the only thing we could get was someone who, upon watching just five minutes of the film, didn't like them. And that, you know, from five minutes, you get nothing. <laughs> I cannot find someone who hates this film. And that is Fantastic. great. And we tried. <laughs> it's How did you get into this? And, and Robert, what do you do? Just for a moment. Oh, I'm a, a college instructor. Ah, so how how did you get into this, guys? And what? Why did you? Why? I mean, I, and why is it? Okay, my wife asked me. <laughs> why is it called two two minutes about time? Why is it called? Is it called two minutes? Yeah, yeah. Two? So yeah, because so because each yeah. episode we look at two minutes of about time until we covered the entire film from start to finish. So we analysed it incredibly in depth. Robert um, has done quite a lot of these shows with different films, mm -hmm. and I was a listener and guested on a couple of things that when lockdown hit i was like do you want to do an about time podcast we've never met i'm you know a film student from shropshire england and you're a professor from la it, it yep. doesn't <laughs> oh, you're in LA? Yeah. How wonderful. Hi. 
Anyway, I'll leave, wow. I'll leave you to speak a little more, Robert, because I'm getting all rambly. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, then it became a big thing of lockdown last year because we had a lot of time and we recorded. The, he knew this was one of my favorite movies. I knew it was his favorite movie. And it was a joke at first when he first yeah. mentioned it, like we should do <laughs> we should do about time together. But then lockdown happens like we should do about time together. And then we did. And we had so many amazing guests. You're just the latest one. And it it was uh, some of mine I've done by myself, like my podcast about movies like this. And this one was so many other people and filmmakers and stuff. It was it's been great. And how amazing. The, the fun thing with getting ready for this episode is Luke was our music. Like he was the one who would always talk about the music. I didn't even look you up when we were doing the show. And then I looked you up yesterday. I'm like, wait a sec. You're the singer from Dream Academy. Right. <laughs> and you worked with Pink Floyd. Yes. That's, you know, that's so good because that's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you got to let the thing speak for itself. I'm like, and your songs in like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and you worked on the Sid Barrett Memorial concert. Like that. Oh, I didn't that even realize, great. like I actively didn't realize who you were. And then I was like, that, that is so cool. Because, I mean, you were talking about like directors and composers and Luke was saying editing. Like, we don't know what they do or what you do, but we kind of know right. when you do it well. Yes. Right. And unfortunately, there's also times where we know you don't do it well. You, I have, don't know any of those for you. But, you know, we know when a director is bad or good. We don't know how they do what they do. Mm. Right. And same with composers. You're and you're right I, it, it's an enigma I, 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 it's, it's it's an alchemy thing isn't it it's a strange magic this, this it's filmmaking it's strange and you never know who's going to do it and sometimes the magic can occur with somebody who's got no money and no and is is is, is someone who hasn't got much experience at it mm -hmm. and you just look at it and you know that what you're looking at is the real deal yeah. you know is the real thing and uh it's 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 been but and likewise you can see something that's had tens of millions spent on it and it's it just doesn't doesn't take you there you just want to be involved with the ones that do well yeah some of the bigger budget things their score is almost it could be in any movie like that. Yeah. It's just big action piece, set piece right. music. Yeah. It's very much, there's a trend like there are, there's lots of it I don't particularly go for. Mm. I, and that I, that's why I never go for interviews for films or Netflix things, you know, because I don't think I'll get them, A. And B, I, if you like what I do, you'll ask me to do it. And then that's good. Yeah. Then I'll do it. But if you don't, I, there are hundreds, thousands of people and more coming on all the time and who have all those chops. I can do just do what but I Your do. name's definitely on top of my list for when I have money to pay you. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> I'll put my feet up. I can't be working till then. I don't need that much. Just whatever you've got. Which is not £15 at the moment. Uh, so not great. <laughs> I'll put my feet back up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, just because I think even what, what, what you were saying earlier about just even the undertone music that you don't think you notice. I, I think that after watching a film, you could play that music, expect that you wouldn't recognize it and find yourself emotionally going back through whatever the film was trying to 
do. Um, and so someone told me to ask, to ask you um, uh, whether there were any instruments that you obviously had to use in the film or any that you obviously never wanted to use. You know, um, I'm a guitarist originally who once I started making film music, I, the first film I played, I made on guitar. The second film, they said, we don't want country and Western. I said, it's not country and Western. I was playing the music, you know, but no, guitar was not going to be right. Maybe it was the third film. They said, we don't want guitar. And I really started studying the piano. I'd always played electric keyboards and things, but I didn't know anything, you know, and I started playing, learning to play the piano. So when the film came up and we started watching what was working of other people's and Nick Cave into my arms and things like that. I said, you know, it's clear to me that this is a piano film that, that, that and so there's lots that isn't in it, but piano works with this. It's simple and direct. Why piano works with other films is because basically if you can play it on the piano, you can play it. All music is there on the piano. Yeah. There's nothing. It's all the harmony, all the rhythm. And so once it's there on the piano, you can put it out to orchestra or, or any number of instruments you like. So they were right, everyone, at the beginning. Piano, you have to, you don't have to, but it's, it's, it's central. And in this film, sometimes films reject you. So it's not, this is clearly <laughs> not a piano film. You know, the Leonard Cohen, there's no piano. I don't think there might be some top line piano, but there's nothing, nothing in it. It's all guitar. But uh, this was definitely a piano film. Mm, I think I think it it does. Piano is definitely what we what you feel all the yeah. way through. That the, the it, it's got that very kind of intimate feeling to it that I think about time has, and it's quite fascinating. As you know, among Richard Curtis's um, history of, of filmmaking, for the most part, with the exception of like his early work with things like Bernard and the Genie. This is the most extraordinary one of his films, but it's the most personal. And yeah, it's, I, it's I agree. so, yeah, so fascinating. Um, which character... Yeah, sorry, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, which, which character from the film had the, had a, the greatest impact on their theme? Or on, on their... On, on their theme or on the score as a whole? Well, Bill and Donald, really. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that really... Because it, because when I wrote it, I was writing it to their relationship, to Bill's. But Bill is synonymous with with Tim. As it were. Mm. Sorry, um, so so I think that. But but you know that something rather interesting that when look, it, I was there with the band, watching over their filming part in wherever it was, um, Ealing Studios, and. Uh, and, and the other people, the other actors were there and Margot Robbie was there and she was relatively unknown and they were. And I must say that what was incredible was because, you know, who wanted to talk to us? We were the band and the manager, me, and, uh, and we, everybody stopped for lunch. And she was so fantastic. She just came over in this really friendly way and she just sat with the band and we all talked and we're all together and afterwards we all said wow she's really great mm -hmm. not that the others weren't and and we by the way what um mary uh thingy wasn't there so there were, you know, not everyone was there but but what i loved was 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 i've never forgotten that particularly she's gone on to be such a yeah. oscar 
you know, star. Uh, she really was so open and friendly to the point that, you know, that you actually mentioned it. Yeah, that's lovely. And it, I, I think it does definitely, you, you get a certain vibe from watching About Time that everyone enjoyed being there. And I, I've never quite worked out what that is about films because it's not, because in, in saying that, it's, it, it doesn't mean that in like upsetting performances, you can tell that the actors are secretly happy. Like there's nothing like that. There's just a sort of feeling that you get from some films that people are having fun. And similarly, some films you can just tell they really didn't want to be here. And I don't know what it is, but I get it with About Time. And you're right, because the premiere which was on, on, in Leicester Square on a Sunday lunchtime, very sort of then working <laughs> title. And then we all went afterwards to something. Everybody was thrilled to be, be with each other. And there were lots of these little, I think that's a very rich thing as well. There were lots of little get togethers with everyone. And they always included all, everyone, the technicians, me, the other musicians, everybody got an invite and everybody was there. And you're, as you say, they were like a big family. In fact, because I'd been on it from before I started writing for six months. So I was on it for a year. I think, um, uh, you know, the beautiful girl who says I'm a faller, the sister, um, I'm sorry. So Kit Kat. Movie. Yeah. Kit, Kit Kat. She says, uh, she said to me, wow, you're still on it. Oh, I've done a costume drama and something since, oh, I wish I was still on it. You know, <laughs> there was that feeling that, every, you know, it's like, oh, you're all still together and we're all, and I thought that was the first time I realized that for actors, it, it must be very hard and quite dysfunctional because when you're all together, mm. you're this incredible team. And then you've got to break that yeah. team yeah, I think I read that Bill was only filmed for like a week. <laughs> like it's, um, yeah, it's it's in, it's insane, and it, it is true because there is there is so much before and after that I guess yeah. the actors don't see. No, um, no it's twelve weeks of editing. I think there was a lot of editing. You know, there's a lot of yeah. time. You know, those things, three months go on in those sorts of things where you're going in all the time. You know, the the it's... feeling probably also includes Richard, like the fact that Richard's family were pretty much all involved. Like you know, Emma, associate okay. producing and script editing. Uh, Jake, Spike, Charlie yeah. were all like appeared in the film. Yeah. Scarlett yeah. appears in a photo in the very awkward was moment. It. They were all, yeah, they were all there. A lot of, as I said, the first time I had to play him something, you know, oh, and it was him and Emma, and it was so great because it just broke it down. It made it much more. And all the screenings, we'd all get together, and then she would say, "What did you think of the, in the way Golden M Hills was playing here?" Or, and then he'd say, uh, "You know, it was all. It's just like how you feel films should be made." Yes. He's a team player. He likes to have the gang around. Other people are auteurs in a way where they're just mavericks on their own. You know. So um, I'll pass over a little more to you, Robert, because I could chat for hours and hours and hours. And I realise <laughs> you are a co-host and that involves me allowing you to co-host. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, going back to you talking about piano, I, I noticed, um, was it during the tennis match? that there's a particular bit that's like a trumpet or something else and it changed. It's it, the music in that moment is very different than a lot of the other score segments. But it's like Gosh, this jaunty, fun, romantic vibe. It's it works. Is it not the one where they run up the stairs and it's got all the power that's also used there? Is it because some things were used in different places? It might also be there. Yeah, 
there's one that's like that and that that definitely needs to be on an album that was a great piece mm-hmm. of music they used in several places but sometimes yes and and also you know what was uh when richard said i don't want obvious time travel music yeah. so that was great. and also i said you're going to use cgi i said at the beginning and he said no i'm not going to use anything nope. it's like what they're just going to close their eyes and go back in time. And he went, yeah, you know, or whatever it was. Um, and that was so good because we, it, it was more like working on sort of Doctor Who or something. I mean, it felt one was trying to do things in a different, not an obvious, not a certain amount of that yeah. does happen. But, but, you know, it wasn't just making incredible backwards noise and, you know, yeah. um, and a lot of visual effects. Yeah, it stayed feeling personal. And Robert, I think the bit that you're talking about in the tennis scene is when it's playing a Grudart Fruva Armada track. Oh, the river. Yeah, the river, yeah, I think. That's the trombone. That was one of my choices. As I said, a lot of the things w- 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 Richard already had. The first thing I think that he liked of mine was uh, of my of my choice was 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 Groove Armada, and we put it on against that and against when. Uh, the, when the Margot Ro- Robbie figure is leaving yeah. for the first time, and then you hear it, it's a beautiful, it's a, it's, it's a sample yeah. piece. It's brilliant. It's, brilliant. it's incredible how well all the music fits together. Because sometimes, like looking on the soundtrack album, first of all, I will say how much I love the album. It is a weird choice of tracks. I think as we've kind of discussed, and there's, there's, you know, some Should of it is. Should have been much more of mine. Definitely. Six would have. Well, yeah, yeah. Because well, you know, we we we, you, we in place of having yours, we've got stuff like push the button and all the things she said, which was just in the background of party scenes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I or love the whole the soundtrack, but if some of them come up on my shuffle, I'll skip them way more than I'll skip like any of the rest of these. Yeah. It's yeah. obviously in midair. You have to have obviously into my arms. Obviously, and Spiegel and Spiegel. Yeah. Like that's yeah. Oh, oh, that that was my choice too. I that wondered. Was, that, Good. <laughs> that was an amazing thing because I'd someone had, I love Arvo Pert and but somebody had played me that version and I'd loved it so much like four or five years before I'd said you've got to give me that version to the guy and he'd sent me a cassette with it I had to find him again and say where I don't want the other versions I need that exact <laughs> one and then I played it to Richard and then he loved it so he loved it so much that he took a piece of music that I loved so much that when Kit Kat is sitting there with Tim, is it with Tim or is it with Bill in the garden? And she puts her hand on the on his shoulder. I had to, and they play Spiegel and Spiegel again. Yeah. I said, oh, we've already been there. What about my piece, for the, my incredible piece that takes place in the hospital? Yeah. Uh, the, let's, you know, that, and it worked so well. And we were back and forth, he'd say, it's great. It's great. But I think I've got to use because he didn't know Spiegel and Spiegel. And I was a victim of my own. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> yeah. I think your, your score blends so well with Spiegel and Spiegel that, like, that like sometimes I'm listening. It takes me a minute to go, is that Nick or is that Spiegel? Like that, it's it's, it's amazing. And Spiegel and Spiegel kind of it, it gives the feeling of life going on. Like whenever it happens, it's like the the mundanity of life and how things life's moving on either you know, moving on around his dad's death, moving on around sick, uh, Kit Kat's troubles. It's just the idea that whatever happens, life moves on. And 
are. I don't know how that can be portrayed in music, but it's so is. Yeah, I'm not about that. Arvo is an absolute <laughs> genius. Okay, do you know what? This is why I knew I had to find it to play to Richard mm. because I had it on this cassette and I had an old beaten up old Mercedes with a cassette machine player in it. <laughs> and every time I put that, I'd rumble in while I was driving, put a cassette in, it would be, ah, oh, it's this. And everybody who walked on the street, it immediately yes. was life going on. Uh -huh. It was immediately a movie. And of course it was going to work with whatever. He could have put it through every damn scene, virtually, yes. you know, and it would have worked because it's, it's just, I don't know how that's done either. I know that mathematically it's a very simple thing. Yep. He often does, it's a reverse of one thing. It's mirror in mirror. I was going to say, isn't it, isn't it the same forward as it is backwards? Yep. I think I've, I've heard somewhere. I, I'm sure that's right. But anyway, it, but it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely. And I think it's the same with so much of, with, with stuff like uh, that we, that comes up on the album, because I don't get to listen to some of the other bits you've done as often as the rest. Um, the About the about Time theme and Goldborn Road. Similarly, if I'm listening to it while I'm on a walk or something, I, I just feel more appreciative of everything around me. It's, it's amazing. And it accompanies anything like it's <laughs> it's incredible which i don't know whether that sounds as a compliment as it does when you've composed it to a scene to say that it no, suits no, everything but it does it's great you made me you know relearn it because you forget with films music it's not like songs you sort of forget how you played them so i had to go back and listen to the early version that i had of it and i and, and i was downstairs here i'm in, i'm in a, on the rhineland just outside i'm for another few days and there's an old piano and the same one I wrote those pieces on <clears throat> and um and I was playing it and my sister-in-law arrived and she just said oh that that's lovely now they never speak when I'm playing the piano and they never feel a need to <laughs> but, but 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 she just said oh that's lovely and I said that's the about time theme and I was on the dun, 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 dun. I wasn't on the chorus part I was on I was on the verse part yeah. as it were, the opening part and I thought, wow, how amazing she's. It, it, it's, anyway, it's yeah. In post, yeah. in version of me editing this, now's when we'll we'll play that the full the full version you've done for us. Nice. We'll we'll hear it again over the beginning and end credits, but we'll play it. Now, Luke, Luke had this thing where he always talked about the movie feels to him like a warm hug. And listening to, like, just sampling the, your music again, when I got to the theme music yesterday, I was like, you know, the theme, I think, fits that. I, I, I always think that's a weird way to describe the film. No, I get it. Wonderful. But the music, I was like, no, I, I think I get it now. Because that, that music is just so pleasant. And Fabulous. it 
feels like all of the other stuff put together. And there's something about the chorus. I don't know that, you know, when you're writing things, it, 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 you, you, you're writing and suddenly everything goes kind of still. And when I got to that coursing, they, I know they say it, it sounds like a cliche, but it sort of wrote itself. Mm. It just pulled itself through, poured itself in. And it was like, wow, that's, that's it. It's like coming home. It's, yes. you know, so, and yeah. So, I, I, you know what? Okay. So what happened at the end of the film was we'd been through a year together now and I was you know now Richard fully in control with all the people who are there at the edit and everything but he still wants you there he still says come in every day and you sit at the back and you occasionally say that's a bit quiet isn't it in the music or something and um and finally 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 we were at the end and you know, you never go, you never share a cab with a director because they've always got so much going on. <laughs> they get the first cab, they always go. And you, you understand it, that it's, 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 a, it's a non-spoken thing. It's not like a hierarchical thing, it just is. But it was, it was 3.30 in the morning and coming up to four o'clock, whatever it was. I don't know, maybe it was nearly three o'clock. And uh, they said, Richard, you live near Nick, don't you? Look. Do you mind sharing a cab, guys? Because there's no cabs. And uh, we know you've got to get on a plane, Richard. Uh, you've got to get to the airport at five. It's like, he's been up all, all day. He's been up for months. <laughs> How's this going to work? Uh, anyway, he said, no, not at all. Of course, of course. And so I went with him. And as we speed through, I got near the park and we're driving. And it's sort of almost beginning to get light. And, and he says, well, I think it all went pretty well, didn't it? And I said, I just wasn't sure and I didn't know because he never says he does you know, so he's on working on his film he's not saying oh God, this is wonderful you know not he occasionally he does but you know so he said yeah I said do you think so and he said yeah I think it all went pretty well from the beginning and I said oh great no I didn't say oh great I said ah and I'm just I mean we were we were like the walking wounded we were mm -hmm. really really tired and he had to get on a plane to go to fly to washington to play something to, to the white house or something i don't, I don't know if you're <laughs> allowed to but it was so big you know that, that this is this was his life carrying on and mine was to get some sleep <laughs> and i got out at home and i never said anything i just got in and then when i got in i said what was i thinking why didn't i say something why was i so reticent didn't say anything to him and I just said, he's going to be on a plane in about 10 minutes. And when he gets to Washington, he'll look at his, he'll, he'll be able to look at his phone again. And he'll get an email. And I, and I just wrote, I was, so it was really, you know, share the cab was great. And uh, I hope everything goes well. I just w wanted to say that what I realized I should have said was, it was I who was the luckiest to get the chance to make this film and to work on it. And um, thank you. Thank you for everything. And, uh, and it was like, wow. And then he, he got it. <laughs> and then he wrote and said something wonderful when he got to Washington. So, you know, it was, uh, it was an amazing end. And, and yet it isn't an end because he, he, he invariably writes to me and says, like last year he wrote, just got an email and it says I was in Italy. And he said, we're in the top 50 again. So on the <laughs> iTunes, he said, movie must have played last night. Because, you know, mm. and he said, it's, it's always coming up again and you know the music's 50% of the film so you know it's, it's he's 
he still keeps one in the loop or sends me some piece of music that he's heard. It's 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 a it's a lovely thing. It's lovely. Yeah, I, I've been so shocked, especially by the fact that Richard, as I said, has like been my biggest hero for so long. Speaking to him for the show and just about about time. Like most of my conversations are through DMing Emma on Twitter and uh, forwarding onto him and all the rest. But it's yeah. how humble and lovely he is is amazing because he is pretty much like the most successful screenwriter i'd say pretty much of all time like if, if you, you can't a billion yeah for you, a billion for that um you know for for, for comic relief yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's amazing like I, I, I talk about a lot of film people to people who i know and they'll go who and if i say richard curtis they go richard curtis like people <laughs> are so and and yet richard curtis is just one of those names and one of those it's also fascinating because we, we asked him on the show about whether he considered himself an auteur and he doesn't. <laughs> He's like, yeah. I just have styles and subjects. And it's like, there. it's amazing because I, I can watch other films and go, that is so Richard Curtis influenced. Like he has yeah. such a style that you can tell. My current yeah. show, well, this is technically a current show since we're back on here for a one-off, but my current show is about a the 2014 rom-com Love Rosie which was made by Christian Ditter, nothing to do with Richard Curtis, but I could tell straight away there was Richard Curtis influence. And we interviewed the director a few weeks back and he was like, yeah, my biggest influence was Notting Hill. And it's like, I know that, <laughs> I can see that. Right, right, <laughs> if you're paying attention. Do you know what's amazing to me is that it says it all that Richard wanted to come on your show, that 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 that, that, that was something, of course, that he felt was completely... Well, he, 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 tra he and Emma tracked down from Working Title a copy of the script to send to me because they knew how much, like, how important and lovely See? that was. Like, mm -hmm. that, that was, this was... So they, they'd offered to send signed sign pictures and they'd sent that over. And I'd asked them, do you know if there's anywhere online you can find the script? And they were like, oh, sorry, I don't think so. But they had my address. And then so just randomly out of the blue, like a month later, this knocks up at my door. And it's just like, whoa, <laughs> it was, wow. it's, it's amazing. And so like, part of me is like, I don't want to like ruin and the contact and tire them out with like every question, and everything I want to talk to them. But also <laughs> I just want to like meet for coffee with this guy. I just, I just, I just want to find any way to get involved with any of his projects because everyone we've spoken to who's worked on Richard Curtis movies talk about how amazing it is yeah. no one's been like oh i hated this day or i didn't like it. everyone's just been like oh it was so worth it and that's there's a sort of normality to yes. it it's interesting you say that about the auteur because you see i not you see but that that's clearly why he didn't feel the need to say that is working so incredibly well that was good in a way he's absolutely right not in a way he is absolutely right you don't want to be put off by that stuff you need to get on with your work yeah. and there's always more work to be done and it's not helpful to uh be suddenly thinking wow that one that's really working you know you have to keep pushing, pushing. yeah and it, it's fascinating actually saying about the normality because that that is what it feels with with his films they feel so real so raw and yet the they're, they're, they're so prone to people criticizing that they're unrealistic hmm. and it's 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 strange to me like i remember there was an interview that um the richard did once that i remember reading for part of the podcast uh where, where he said like if someone made a movie about a serial killer murdering a baby they the reviews would say it's jarringly realistic and yet yes. i make a movie about people falling in love which happens you know hundreds of times every night 
and people people call it unrealistic <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> i completely agree it's so stupid um and i think anything that is heightened in his films less so in about time but anything that's heightened in like love actually or notting hill is the emotional yeah. heightenedness that's probably not a word but the, the um, emotionally what it feels like to be in that situation yeah so yeah. yeah, I think in a way it's more realistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I think of the bedroom scene in uh, in About Time is so fantastic. All that, that I mean, that's so funny. That got always got laughs. Whatever you, I think I'm about to have the best sleep of my life. You know, <laughs> all those things. It was just beautiful. That was it, three it's... episodes of this show. That was an awkward week, but a, yep. but, a fun, but a fun week. <laughs> wow. So how have you had 77? That's a hell of a lot of episodes. Yeah. And what are you going to do now? Is this, did you say that there was going to be a conference or a sort of thing or is there, or is it a conference, an online sort of conference? Uh, yeah, so um, so essentially we technically wrapped up with Richard Curtis' interview like October last year, but we're just coming back obviously with you and if any other guests like come in touch with that. Um, so what what's happening, uh, which hopefully this will be released as part of is, there's a big community of these minute by minute breakdowns of films. There's about 200 different shows doing different films. Yeah. And normally once a year, they have a meetup somewhere in America because it's a very America focused thing. But because of COVID, I was very happy it happened last year and this year, the meetups happening online. So it's just all of us hosts kind of gathering together, sharing exclusive clips, doing games and stuff together. Um, and that's MXM at home, movies by minutes at home. Um, this whole minute by minute thing started with the guys at Star Wars Minute that are doing every Star Wars movie minute at a time. Um, I think Robert, you got into it through Groundhog Day, didn't you? Yeah. Because this is the insane thing, which I just my favorite. <laughs> one of my favorite things to say about Robert is that Robert did a blog where he watched Groundhog Day every day for a year. Yep. Um, <laughs> that is such a concept. <laughs> wow. And then that, you that, got invited. Yeah, then, then you got invited. And then I got invited the on minute. the Groundhog Minute. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then I think I discovered it because I love the actually talking about John Hughes earlier, I love the vacation movies. They're mm. one of my favorite movies. You can't really see behind me, but I have like the posters or yeah, like a frame. I, I did. Yeah. Um and so for me, that like I think uh, it was one of the guys. Um, Sean did a show sure. called uh, Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation Days, where they went day by day through Christmas Vacation. So all the scenes that were set on like Christmas Eve or whatever they'd release on Christmas Eve, and that was how I discovered this concept. And then I got dragged into this wormhole. I've done about time. I did a day by day like that with Love Actually last year. I'm doing Love Rosie now. I booked both Paddington movies. I don't know when I'm going to touch them, but I, <laughs> I, I, I just I booked them out on our spreadsheet. And it's it's wow, surprisingly it's a very addictive way of look, talking of looking about movies. Yes, like I'm sure you find it as well, Robert. So often you watch a film and go, that'd be good minute by minute. <laughs> like, there's mm -hmm. um, so so much to talk about. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, because when you make the music for them, you're watching them minute by minute, uh, always, you know, and then yeah. you, you're sad, whole chunks of them get cut out, and then you're happy, other chunks get cut out, you know, <laughs> but it's all minute by minute, so it's, it's, you're breaking it back down to, to, you know, frame by frame, I mean, as it were, you know, mm. a few frames. There, there are, there are different points in my life where I'm going through 
problems. And I, as a Christian faith, see it as something that God's putting into my mind. But it's like there, there are certain moments of about time that when I'm struggling with things just appear in my head and it goes, oh, well, that's how I overcome it. That's what I go through. Yeah. And it was literally, it, it literally was the idea that like this little rom-com from 2013 just appears at moments in my life and goes, well, that's how I overcome this. That's how I work my way through this. Like I, I just, even as a, as a filmmaker, there are certain scenes in multiple films I've done where I've sent my DOP or I've sent my actors or something, a scene from about time and gone, do it like this. <laughs> <laughs> and similarly, I'm, I've sent your music to my composer and been like, do that, please. <laughs> That's what you're doing with, with music you know on films you 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 more and more i hear something and i think that's the way this should be and then i write something and say if you've got on the kind of thing where you've got other people you say can you make the rhythm like that and they 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 say of course of course and then you get it back within like the next morning and then you go fantastic now i'm going to put the strings like this and you know so i think that's You've got to be open to, 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 you know, how else can you do it? I mean, it's that's you'll always put your own spin on it. But I think it's absolutely fine to to, uh, you know, to be to, to use those influences. I think it's vital, really, because, you, you know, you, you're you're never you're never going to copy. You can't in yeah. the end. I mean, you, 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 you don't you want to. You do things your own way. This is how Oh, you think this bit could go like this. But. It's, anyway, I think that's very helpful. I think through the I, show, just... we've come up with multiple film ideas from scenes, Robert. Mm -hmm. There were several points where we went, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if blank happened? And I've got it written down somewhere where it's like, <laughs> oh, well, I could do this. I could do that. Like, like, this is one which I'm happy to say, since we actually came up on the show, we kind of discussed the idea of a time traveller with, like, dementia. And oh, the yeah, idea yeah. of doing something about an, a time traveller that's stuck in their own past and using that as a kind of allegory for like Alzheimer's or dementia. And that's like at, the, like at the top of my list of when I've got time to put a lot of research into it, when I've got a budget to put behind it, that's something I want to touch. Um, yeah, you're, and there's that's taking time travel and being influenced by the thing and doing it your own way. That's, that's classic, yeah. that's classic, absolutely. Yeah, so it's, it's amazing. It's, it's been amazing how 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 much your music seems to have been a part of my life for these past for these past year or more it's um like I, I think i've told this before that i about time was a film which first time i saw it i was like oh that's an all right film and then i just kept feeling drawn to re-watching it and one day in a 2018 i was part way through watching it when my parents came back from the vets and my dog had passed away and your music and the, the film as a whole like I stopped I was I was part way through watching it and I stopped it and I was like I don't want to ruin this film I'm not going to watch any more for like a few weeks I I left I left it there but from that point onwards the film has meant so much more to me like yeah. and, and I think so many things like that people have implemented parts of it into it that Christmas I got the about time soundtrack um from my sister and I'm listening through that and just so many songs which I didn't know like I wasn't the big about time super fan I am now but so many of the tracks I remember listening to and just bawling and being like there is so much emotional yeah, resonance really through the film and through what the film means to me as well as I assume to everyone else and whatever they bring in like you know I, I think 
what you take out of a film is only as good as what you bring into it. And About Time makes me want to bring in so many elements of my own life, so much baggage, so much everything else, and and turns it into something great. Fabulous. On that happy note, on that sad note, well, guys, it, I mean, it's been it's been wonderful. I'm, yeah. I'm very, very pleased. I'm so sorry that I didn't get in there before it. <laughs> it's fine. It ended on a good note without having to come back as a coda. <laughs> but, but, you know, only for the best reasons. I was working, 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 yeah. and I didn't get to watch any of your things. When you're in the middle of lockdown and working on a film that is so complex because it's about, it's a hip hop film. And I'd already told the director, I'm not the guy for hip hop. And he'd said, but you are. I was just thinking it would be such a wonderful adventure. <laughs> and I went to sleep and I woke up and I thought, wow, well, he sold me. What an adventure. <laughs> well, send me, send me some things. And I, you know, and they sent me all the hit Death Rose greatest hits. So he said, This is fantastic. But obviously, we're not gonna have rap on it, things, but I can these textures. I can start, all right, all right, I, I reckon I can do this, you know. So um I just could, there was no space in my mind to yeah, even, I, you know what, somebody, somebody wrote, ooh, sent me this thing, I've only just realised and only answered now, a year later, can we do an hour-long special for an American uh, Vivo YouTube thing channel, we've done everyone, Brian Wilson, you know, uh, you know, David Crosby, I was like, I just didn't even answer it. <laughs> I, found the thing, I found the thing and I wrote to the guy yesterday and I said, I'm so sorry. Do apologize for my late reply. <laughs> In brackets, a year. Um, anyway, he wrote back immediately, which was really lovely. Well, I, I'm so pleased to you wrote back. And of course we thought you know, we'd never got it. And, and I do apologize uh, for probably my almost constant over, over lockdown, like <laughs> commenting on your Instagram, no, sending Facebook friend requests. No, that was great it, because it kept it in my mind. It kept it in my mind. There was no space, you know, it was tough to make that, to make this last film was really- And then it was like a couple of months ago, I'd forgotten that I'd sent you a Facebook friend request and I just completely out of the blue got, Nick Laird Close accepted your Facebook friend request. I was like- Oh, you know I, why? I like, because what? the film was over and I started going, <laughs> and I just started going yes, yes, yes. I was looking through things. And then I, that's why you came up again. Ah. Anyway, I was so pleased he did, because once I started looking at it, I was like, that's a fantastic idea. Anyway, it's, it's, it's been lovely. Yeah, I, I, can't so imagine, I can't imagine there being a point in my life where about time doesn't mean something to me. I think, I think it, it has so much, so many layers, so much to it that it, I, I think there will always be something that resonates with it. And even if it's nothing new, just these couple of years, it will be a staple of where I am yep. now. Um, so do you have anything you'd like to promote or, or, or plug, Nick? Like plug anything you'd, you'd like. Old, old projects, Instagrams, Facebooks. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to go straight back to Richard and I'm going to say I did this fantastic interview with the guys, with Robert and Luke, and they... They just couldn't understand why the music wasn't on and it wasn't on the soundtrack <laughs> album. What do you think about I... Put it, put it together. We put it out, even if it's just to, on 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 the internet, you know, on, on for streaming and download. How? You know, what do you think about that? So I'm going to have that will be a thing. Um, the things that I, I'm the last two uh, soundtracks I made, one for the Leonard and Marianne and Leonard yeah. Words of Love, which 
I improvised during a hot summer in a lockdown. It wasn't a lockdown, it was in my studio, but that I was very, very, very pleased with the music for. And that's on streaming and download. It's it's my name and Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love. And the new one, Last Man Standing, uh, Suge Knight and the Murders of Biggie and Tupac. You don't ah. want murder in a lot of your titles. Um, but I'm very, very, uh, it was such a mountain to climb, or actually the reverse of a mountain. I went deep into the dark underworld of a very violent thing and found a whole new way of making music. So. Both of those I would love anybody to listen to because it shows, it showed me that I could make completely different types of music, and, but, but with melody in them. Mm -hmm. And emotion, and emotion. Yeah. So, so anybody who wants to hear those, uh, I'd love them to hear them. They're on all good streaming and download sites. That, that, but no, otherwise, just keep listening to About Time. <laughs> I definitely will. Um, I'll, I'll just have it on loop until this, until the new stuff comes out. Until the out. new album comes out, yeah. until the full length version exactly. comes out. Right. And I will, right. I, that will be the top of my regular listens, definitely. I will, even if you just like end up having to pop it on YouTube or secretly send me yeah. a Dropbox link, that will be. <laughs> <That'll> be <there. laughs> Nowadays, I don't see any reason why there must be some way of doing it. Anyway, guys, it, I, I love what you, I mean, to have come up with the idea. It's a work of art in its own, which is so, so wonderful. So congratulations, and I hope your film work goes, or both your film works go extremely well. Thank you. Thank you. The directing, you know who to call. <laughs> I, de I definitely will. Uh, you'll regret saying that from my almost constant <laughs> Facebook messaging what? from now on. Okay, <laughs> Robert okay. jokes that the only reason Richard Curtis came on the show was because he just had enough of me asking all these questions. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, I'll just do it now. <laughs> uh, another way. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Take care, guys. So, Robert, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, go to lemmingdrops.com for links to all my shows. Um, and I should mention because she when she heard who I was talking to, she was like, oh, I should be on there. Uh, Sarah's oh, show yeah. Life is a Playlist, where we did a special episode about the songs from About Time. Of course we did. I can't believe I forgot that. I would listen back to that. I was like, uh, what should I listen to that's About Time music focused? And that, somehow that, forgot that we did that because it got so tangled in my head with when we actually did the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you could be on here. It might get a little too many people and we'll go too long, but it's fine. This went longer than I expected, which was that's fine. Amazing. Um, um, but anyway, you could cut that little bit right there if you want. But I'd no. just say follow up, or you can find uh, any of my shows on social media under their titles, or follow Robert E. G. Black or Lemming Drop Studio. Yeah, and I, I was gonna shorten my plugs to say just LukeAllen.co.uk, but that doesn't work since my website is dead at the moment. Yeah, you gotta so get that back up. And. And I don't think I will by the time this comes out. <laughs> frankly, I don't think that's happening. Uh, but I um, I will say you can find me on Twitter at Llama underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram The Ginger Luke, Facebook Luke Allen Film. All podcasts ready for its new editorial short films would be at Luke Allen to go UK and will be eventually. Uh, you can find this show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Two Men's About Time. I've not said that in a while. <laughs> and you can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things to do with About Time and anything else. I'll be sure to send Nick a link uh, to that. So you, if Nick wants to join. Um, it's 
yeah thank you so much to everyone who's come back to listening this we might get no one everyone might have forgotten we exist uh but if nothing else we got a very nice chat and mm-hmm. uh, i've potentially got a future composer so we're all good <laughs> and stay tuned for hopefully the about time extended soundtrack release if that actually happens i love the idea that we kickstarted that oh yeah <laughs> that would be so cool um and in when Nick, Nick kind of going through different people has said, you know, film people who've written books, very much in the back of my mind that I have free time, I would love to write a book of essays about about time. Yeah. Um, I could, I feel like I could do it. I don't know when I would do it, but I feel like it's a thing that like, if I'm like sat on long bus journeys, I could be like, I'm going to talk about how Lindsay Duncan saying I'm effing furious is the best use of bad language in film history and write like <laughs> a thousand words about that. I could. Um, you could. Yeah. Yeah. And so, time. yeah, uh, it's all about time. Um, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> one of my, um, I, I sent a message into the uh, group chat for Reduced to Clear, the film that I'm uh, working on at the moment, to plug, plug. Um, yeah. It was, uh, I, I basically said, I'm chatting with the about time composers. Does anyone have any questions? No one had any questions because I literally messaged them like 20 minutes before we started. Yeah. Uh, but someone did say, please tell me it turns up late so you can say, oh, it's about time. And I realized we never did that. <laughs> he, he that did. never happened he did that's very he did true. really early on he made that joke so yeah it's it's a surprise because it feels like it would come up a lot but it didn't um so i i guess i don't know whether we're going to have a, a post-show chatter but i guess i should end this here to be nice to my uh, editing self uh, yeah. thanks for listening you'll hear the about time theme once again uh because we never tire of it uh, <laughs> by nick laird close um because this time we can say the two minutes about time theme is a is a cover of the About Time theme originally performed by Nick Laird Close and performed by Nick Laird Close. So yeah. probably not even a cover anymore. It's it's our theme is the About Time theme. He did it. And and his sister-in-law likes it. So there we go. We we got his sister-in-law to to maybe think I should watch About Time. That's that's what <laughs> we need. Um thank you everyone and Robert, you have a goodbye. You too. Uh no, I'm I'm good with that. Just enjoy the theme. Think about whatever you need to think about, because it all fits. 